You may be the first president in history to go down because you can't stop inappropriately talking about an investigation. I can definitively say the president's not a liar. And I think it's uh, frankly insulting that that question would be asked. Up to now, we have no profiles in courage among the Republicans. Somebody really speaking out saying Trump is bad for the country. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who doesn't think his lawyer will flip and tell the truth to the authorities, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So Mick Mulvaney, President Trump's budget director, who moonlights as head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, did something amazing this week. He spoke the truth in public. He did it at a conference of bank executives and lobbyists. He told them that Republican politics in the Trump era is strictly pay-to-play. Until recently, Mulvaney was a congressman. Quote, if you're a lobbyist who never gave us money, I didn't talk to you, he said. But if you gave him money, you got a chance to influence legislation. Mulvaney called this one of the fundamental underpinnings of our representative democracy. And he warned the lobbyists that if they wanted a voice in deregulating their industry, they'd better come bearing checks. And then if that weren't enough bracing honesty for one speech, Mulvaney went on to tell the truth about his efforts to undermine the government agency he's supposed to be running, the CFPB. And this was my favorite part. Quote, I'm trying to get in the habit of now saying the BCFP, he said. It's really, really hard to do that when you've said CFPB for so long. In other words, this agency he's trying to kill through neglect is too memorable. He wants to change the name to the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, just shuffling the words around. It's like Burma changing its name to Myanmar so the world forgets about the horrible things that the people in charge are doing. But Director Mulvaney has a problem. He keeps forgetting to use the name that no one can remember, which is making it hard for people to forget about his agency. His neglecting to remember helps us remember his neglect. Mick Mulvaney is the Trump administration boiled down to its essence, open corruption leavened by incompetence, and a steady flow of lies punctuated by strange public outbursts of the truth. On today's show, Donald Trump versus the press, who's winning? I'll be back with the media critic Jay Rosen. But first, there's been a lot of speculation about Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein getting fired. He's been expecting a phone call. Okay, here it is, Rod. Here's the moment. Here is the call. Here it is. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. End of career. You know what? Be strong. Be strong and give him a piece of your mind. Hello, this is Rosenstein. Yes, Mr. Rosenstein. Okay, before you go any further, I just want to say something here, okay? I have served my country honorably for many, many years. I've been on both sides of the aisle about things, okay? And I do not like the way that my name has been dragged through the media. And you can tell the president, you know, that he does, if he doesn't have the balls to call me himself, then how can he even dignify himself with the title of president of the United States, all right? My family and I have worked very hard for many years to maintain dignity and honor, and those are two words that are meaningless to this president, okay? So you can take this job and you can shove it. And good luck getting somebody who will stand up there and take your shit, because that is what I have been doing since day one. Um... This is Brian from LensCrafters. I was just calling to let you know that your glasses are ready. Oh, uh, rimless? Always. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry, I guess I thought you were somebody else. Don't, don't, uh, don't tell anybody what I said there, okay? 
Of course. Probably be the next call. That sketch was improvised here in our Brooklyn studio by Steve Waltine and Asher Perlman of The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. Jay Rosen joins me on the line. He's a professor of journalism at NYU, and he writes the Press Think blog. Jay, thanks for joining me on the show today. My pleasure, Jacob. So I gather you gave a talk at a symposium recently, a version of which is on the New York Review website, entitled Why Trump is Winning and the Press is Losing. That's depressing. Why do you think Trump's winning and the press is losing? Well, partly because before journalists log on in the morning, about one-third of their potential public is gone in the sense that they are hardcore Trump supporters and they reject on principle what the mainstream press is reporting. That's a big deal. And many other forms in which his attack on the press uh, takes place are effective. Uh, For example, um, fact-checking, which is something journalists do, hasn't stopped him from not only misstating but just fabricating statements constantly. And the United States press's uh, place in the world as a kind of beacon of freedom is eroding. Just today, the Reporters Without Borders put out a new ranking for free press around the world, and the United States ranks 45th in that. So that's what I mean by he's winning. He's eroding the place of the press and the political system. He's eroding its public and he's eroding the democratic norms that support journalism. So to to argue the other side a a little bit, wouldn't you agree that that third you talk about, the third of the public that isn't paying attention to to mainstream media, to to real media, the media had already lost them. It just didn't know it had lost them by the time of the election. And Trump has uh, underscored that phenomenon that there are people who have alternative news sources that are not, in many cases, are highly distorted, dishonest news sources. But they haven't really gained since the election, and the mainstream media hasn't lost. I mean, just in terms of who people are listening to, it's more like a standoff with the polarized audiences seeking out media that they find sympathetic. Yeah, to some degree, I would agree with that. I mean, the the events... Uh, that I write about um, in this New York Review of Books piece have been a long time coming, uh, and that portion of the public had discovered information sources of its own a long time ago. That's true. One of the more worrisome things that's happened, though, since Trump came to power is that increasingly they named Trump as their source of information about Trump. And that is especially worrisome because that's pretty much the definition of an authoritarian news system. So it's worse. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's more extreme because of his um, campaigning for this mistrust from the top of the society. But certainly it's, it's a condition that grew over decades, and Trump has exploited it. I mean, one way I would say that Trump would be winning would be if the press were unable in a significant way to hold him and his administration accountable. But mm-hmm. reading all this media, I sort of see the opposite. I mean, I see fantastic accountability journalism being done. There's some caveats, um, which I think have to do in many ways with just the, the welter of so much going on in so many places that it's hard for 
for reporters to keep track of it all. And it's hard for certainly hard for audiences to follow it all. But in terms of holding this administration accountable, wouldn't you say journalists are doing a fantastic job of that? Yes, if we put it this way, that there is fantastic accountability journalism being done. Whether he's actually being held accountable is another question. That's not just the job of journalists. It's also the job of the political system. And here, I think it's really important to emphasize that um, Republican elites have not come to the defense of democratic institutions and democratic norms that Trump is busting left and right, nor have they tried to persuade Republican voters that maybe attacking the nation's news media is not such a great thing to be doing. And until Republican elites speak up for all of the institutions that he's attacking, then I don't think any sort of accountability really is going to happen. So that's a, that's a very important uh, detail in all this, is that because he's been so successful in uh, creating this bond with core supporters, the Republican Party is afraid to challenge him. But you're setting a pretty high bar for the press there in terms of results, Jay. I mean, the, uh, I certainly agree with you that, that the Republicans in, in Congress and, and in the institutional Republican Party has exhibited this kind of moral collapse. But it's not because they don't know what's happening. It's not because they're not being effectively informed by an independent press performing this accountability function. It's simply they're making a political choice. And if, you're, if, you know, if your standard is the one we have to apply, then the press can only be winning if Republicans drum Trump out of office. I'm not holding my breath. Well, I'm not. But OK, so you tell me, Jake, what do you mean by he is being held accountable? The, the press is robustly fulfilling its function of examining and exposing corruption in government, abuse of government. Trump's lies are being uh, documented and cataloged by one by one. And uh, I think in some ways, most impressively, the, the press has been doing that without being drawn into an overly personalized fight. The press is still functioning in this very professional way, saying essentially, you know, in, in Marty Barron's words, we're not at war with Trump, we're at work. Or, you know, as I, w- I would put it, um, they are not at war with Trump personally. They're performing their, their basic function. Well, I guess I have a, a bit of a different view in that I think being held accountable does have something to do with results. So, for example, Glenn Kessler, the fact checker for the Washington Post, has made this point several times that in the past, when the press fact checked candidates or presidents and uh, kept at it, the political figure would not necessarily admit uh, he was or she was wrong, but they would stop saying that thing that created the um, the problem. Uh, they would revise their claim uh, because they didn't want to suffer the censure or the penalty of being factually incorrect. Yeah. So that was holding uh, government government accountable. That was holding politicians accountable. Now you have a different situation where you have relentless fact checking. The Washington Post uh, a few months ago printed you know one thousand lies and misstatements the president's made, but it has zero effect. He's not being held accountable by that at all. And that's that's the point I'm making. There's a difference between between publishing accountability journalism and um, 
and it actually working. So you have this character, Donald Trump, who is who is can't be shamed because he's incapable of shame and, right. and doesn't care. I guess the question is, has that created a new norm that other uh, another Republican president or other Republican politicians will try to apply to themselves? Are others applying it to themselves? Are others simply ignoring being called out on lies and distortions? Is Trump setting the model or is the 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 older uh, framework you talked about where politicians were capable of shame still still apply. That, and another thing to keep your eye on is how many Republican candidates around the country as the 2018 election kicks into gear are, are going to use these, these hate attacks on the news media to get elected and support uh, Republican voters in their sort of worst impulses towards the press. Is, does that spread from Trump to many candidates around the country? I think it might, and that's a worrisome thing. You cited this uh, figure that the United States has fallen to. Is it 44th in, in press freedom, according to whose, whose rankings are those? Uh, I believe it was Reporters Without Borders. Reporters Without Borders. Uh, first question, do you think that's right, or does that instinctively sound a little off to you in a country where we have the First Amendment? Well, they are subjective um, rankings, and they take different things into account that one could argue about. But one of them is whether uh, attacks from the top, from the top of the power hierarchy, are openly made uh, against journalists, and and the rhetoric has something uh, to do with it. So, yeah, it might sound it might sound a little high, you know, forty five. But I, I think what 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 is undoubtedly true is that that Trump's Fake news attacks and and this um, this strategy of his is spreading to other rulers, and the United States as a beacon of press freedom is uh, weakening. So I think both those things are happening, and that and they're cause for concern. Well, that is that is certainly happening. Obviously, Hungary being an example, people are paying to a, a lot yep. of attention at the moment. But but Turkey, Poland. Uh, Poland. I mean, you can you can go you can go around the globe and pick out different examples. But I guess one question is whether those models are spreading here or our our model is in certain ways spreading there. I mean, what the way I would frame it probably is that the United States uh, for a long time stood up. For global press freedom, it's been along with other human rights issues a cause that American presidents have have often highlighted. The State Department has raised, and now we're do, we're not not only not doing that, we're doing just the opposite. We're lending support right. when you know Duterte crack, cracks down on on press in the Philippines. You won't hear a peep out of Donald Trump. In fact, you'll hear support for him doing that. Exactly, and that's an extraordinary switch. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily feed back into our system in the sense that any of the measures that, say, Urban is taking in Hungary are things that are happening or could happen in relation to press freedom here. That's true. We, we're not in the position of um, a Turkey. We're not seeing the kinds of restrictions on what um, journalists can publish or the threat to throw them in jail or, or any of those things yet. But where the attack is having its effect is attempting to make journalism not matter. And I think Trump is progressing on that front. 
Well, that's a very interesting point, Jay. And we were just before we got started, we were we were talking off mic about about this book uh, that I know uh, both of us love by a, by a late uh, colleague of yours at NYU called Neil Postman about amusing ourselves to death. And the thesis, thesis of that book, which is um, pre-internet, very much focused on TV, is that well, sort of news is just turning into entertainment on television. People stop caring about it. It stops being. It stops having serious impact. When you combine that portion of it, transformation of everything into entertainment, the search costs, meaning the difficulty of getting good information with all the noise and disinformation that's out there, with a third factor, the creation of of hatred for the press and radical mistrust of it. You put all those things together. And you start to see how journalists could do their job and do great journalism, do accountability journalism, and it just won't make a difference. And I think that's one of the risks we're facing. But if what Trump is trying to do is get people not to pay attention to the credible press, in a way what's happening is he's saying, well, that's boring, and what I'm doing is very entertaining. And Mm -hmm. what you're making is a choice about how to be diverted or entertained. You should choose me over the New York Times because it's going to be a lot more more amusing. Yes, and this is one of the stranger things about this subject is it's really hard sometimes to get your mind around this fact that as much as Trump is an object of news coverage, he's also competing with the news media, almost as as an alternative media system to journalism. Has he institutionalized that at all? I mean, that's sort of, well, on the one hand, it's the dream of every president to communicate with the American public without going through the press. Trump, Trump is not unique in that. But uh, in some ways, he seemed more determined in the early days of Kellyanne Conaway to, uh, to have an alternative means of a kind of, you know, information office um, as an alternative. Do you see that happening or is it falling well, prey to the same incompetence that prevents all everything else from happening in the mm, Trump administration? I think it's sort of happening in the sense that his Twitter feed is, is his, his, his news medium. It is uncontrolled. It doesn't get reconciled with what the White House itself is saying. And in a recent Monmouth University poll, there was an extraordinary finding, which is that more Republicans in a national poll trusted Trump as a source of information, not only than all the other sources of information in the mainstream media, but even more than Fox News. Uh, so they saw Trump as a more reliable source of information, even more than, than Fox News. So that's kind of closing the circuit there. Uh, and that's another thing that's like bizarre, but certainly something to worry about. Have you seen signs recently of Trump fatigue? I, I sort of have the sense that politics has been an incredibly compelling story since the election in 2016. But just in the last few months, maybe I'm just reflecting my own feelings, is, but that there is a kind of exhaustion with this. And more and more when I ask people about that big investigative story in The Washington Post or The New York Times – People haven't read it because they just don't. Yeah. They're out of gas for for reading about how Trump terrible is, uh, how terrible Trump is. And but that probably applies in both directions. That you know, even people who might have some sympathy for Trump's Twitter feed are just not getting the gas out of it that they used to. I don't know because I I don't think I'm a very representative person on that particular score because of my my professional role, um, which causes me to consume a lot of this stuff. Um, but I would say that. What I'm worried about, and, and, I, and I think this is the most likely result of the Mueller probe and, and the um, investigations that are ongoing, the most likely result is that some very serious 
stuff will be uncovered, certainly impeachment-worthy, and nothing will happen, partly for that reason. So you think Trump is winning and the press is losing. I think there's a kind of stalemate in which the press is doing its job very effectively, but nobody is being much persuaded in either direction. What do you think the press should be doing differently? What's the next stage in this battle? What would you like to see that's not happening right now? Well, um, I would like to see news producers evaluate whether um, spokespeople for the Trump White House, like Kellyanne Conway, are actually um, advancing the goals that news networks have. I mean, are they are they are they information sources in in any real way, you know, or are they disinformation sources? I mean, a lot of the networks pretty much ban Kellyanne. Kellyanne well, Conway, right? Because she was just giving this this at pointless one time, propaganda. They seemed to be leaning in that direction, but um, she was just on Sunday, and and I don't I don't know like what CNN says about why they have her on doesn't make any sense to me. For example, she's she's a representative of the president, but she's not, and her purpose seems to be to create confusion. When I'm done listening to her, I know less than I did before she started. So I think I think journalists have to start making independent judgments of their own about disinformation. And I'd like to see more of that. Um, but I don't really have like a checklist. I'm not sure what exactly they could do to change this situation. I'm trying to like describe it first so that we can like pay attention to it because I think it's really hard to know what to do when you're doing good journalism and it is, in a sense, being defeated by this phenomena. It's not easy to know what to do. I've been speaking to Jay Rosen. He teaches journalism at NYU. And you can read his piece, Why Trump is Winning and the Press is Losing, in the New York Review of Books daily. Jay, thanks for joining me today. You are so welcome. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. Our sketch was improvised by Steve Waltine and Asher Perlman of The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. They'll be joining us at our live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn on May 30th. It's going to be a really good time. And there are drinks beforehand at 6 o'clock. Uh, you can sign up to schmooze with me and Virginia and Jamel before we do the show. We're really looking forward to it. You can get tickets at slate.com slash live. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.